Thank you, Pastor Dane, for that great introduction. My name is Frank. I work across the street in the United States Penitentiary, where I could only hope to bring a little bit of light in a darkness place. If you would like to go with me in a time of prayer, let's pray. Heavenly Father, please allow me to be used as a mouthpiece for the Holy Spirit, Lord, to teach in wisdom and be obedient to you, O Lord, to live out my faith as you commanded me to, Lord. By doing so, Lord, I glorify you. I ask you that this message touch the person that it needs to and the heart that it needs to, Lord. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Turn in your Bibles with me to Titus chapter 2 as we continue our verse-by-verse study in Titus that we're calling God's blueprint to the church. There is a story that you may have heard or know. There's a young man who was about to be sentenced to the penitentiary. The judge had known his dad most of his life. He was a well-known lawyer and an author of a study entitled The Law of Trust. As he asked the young boy, do you remember your father? And then the young boy says, I remember him well, your honor. Then trying to probe the young man's mind, the judge asked, as you're about to be sentenced and while you're thinking of your wonderful dad, what do you remember mostly about him? The young boy paused for a quick minute and then he tells the judge an unexpected answer. He says, I remember when I went to him for advice. He looked up at me from the book that he was writing and said, run along, son. I'm busy. Then I went to him for companionship. He turned to me and said, this this book must be finished. Run along, son. The judge kind of took it into himself and thought for a minute. The boy continued and said, you see, you might remember him as a great lawyer. But I remember him as a lost friend. The judge muttered to himself and he said, he finished the book, but he lost the boy. It's heartbreaking to me to see how many followers through God throughout the history have done great things in the name of Christ. But along the way, they also lost their own children. You can see the impact that one's actions have on the next generation of believers and the world around them based on how and with whom an individual spends his time with. Not only is God's design for discipleship important to grow the family, but it's also equally important to grow the church. The generations will live well because they knew well, and they knew well because they were taught well. My question for each and every one of you this morning is, who is your Christ role model? And how are they helping you to follow Jesus better? Whose life are you able to observe and see that their lives are pointing you to Christ and not their own works? Our lives are not changed because we changed our behavior, but rather because God changes our hearts by his word and by his Holy Spirit. Also, because God had changed our hearts, it is by his grace that we are to live a life worthy and a reflective Christ life. Remember what Adam taught us last week from Titus chapter one of God's blueprint for a healthy church. 
He said, number one, proclaim the word of God. Number two, coordinate God's leadership and church leaders. And number three, dissolving false teachers. So with that being in mind, let's pick up in Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. It says, you must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Small verse. Paul uses verse 1 of chapter 2. To contrast with the previous verse in chapter 1, verse 16, Titus 1.16 says, They profess to know God, but, they, but their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless of any good deed. These false teachers have an understanding of God, but because their hearts are not of God, their lives don't show true spiritual transformation. We can know God on a intellectual level but yet not be impacted by his word and not live a transformed life true transformation comes through being doers of the word that you know trust and that you believe in james chapter 1 verse 22 through 24 it says do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself do what it says Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So we see Paul's emphasis to Titus is very clear. Practice what you preach. Paul will explain from a practical perspective what sound doctrine looks like in the body of Christ. Here is how Paul will break down the ways right living for each group and how they are to be lived for God. Paul addresses the older men, the older women, younger women, younger men and slaves or bond servants. What we will see regarding these different age groups is that the gospel is for all ages and the gospel demands a life response regardless of your age and your social status. Titus in chapter 2 verse 2 says the older men are to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Titus is to teach these groups sound doctrine. Teaching sound doctrine leads to good learning, which leads to a great life lived without sin, which means God's blueprints for our lives is a wonderful plan. Wouldn't you agree? This, keeping in mind as we go through our text. First, Paul addresses the older men in the church. Paul mentions the phrase to be, which presumes that there were older men in Crete who still lacked spiritual maturity in their behavior in life. We have to keep in mind that some of these new believers still have to adjust their old way of life. We can't assume that just because someone is older in age that they're spiritually mature. And trust me, I met pretty immature old men. What marks spiritual maturity in a person is the truth that has been applied in their life over a course of time. Titus is to teach these older men, even in their seasoned age, how to live well. Paul states that these older men are to be temperate, these men were spiritually healthy. 
and were able to discern and reason well based upon godly wisdom and a life well lived. Worthy of respect. These older Cretan men should be self-controlled in their drinking. They should not be getting drunk like Cretan men of the day. Self-controlled. These older Cretan men should be self-controlled in their drinking. They should not be getting drunk like the Cretan men of the day. Paul then mentions that Titus should teach them to be sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. It says, persevere in the King James Version, but in the same word is endurance. To put it simply, the older men in the church should be healthy in their trust of the gospel, love towards others, and steadfastness in faith. The key word here is persevere. The word perseverance is a Greek word meaning hippomone. The word means patient, endurance, and steadfastness. Quick example. Imagine that you're in battle and that you're waging war and that you have a sword in hand and someone takes a strike at you and then they come at you again and again and again. Your sword's ability to sustain that blow from that attack, that is the word that endurance Paul uses here. The older men are marked by maturity, having endured some tribulations, some kind of temptations in their life. Their lives have taken some hits, but they didn't waver. Could the same be said about you today? Can you take some hits for Jesus Christ and still love him and follow him with all your heart? These men endure because they did not abandon their faith and sound teaching as well. Paul now moves on to address the women of the church. In Titus 2, verse 3 through 5, it says, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the same way they live, not to be slanderous or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, be kind, and to to be subject to their own husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Clearly, Paul's expectation of the older women in the church is the same as the maturity level as that of the older men. Paul uses the word likewise here in the text. Spiritual spiritual maturity does not have an age attached to it, as if to say you have to be this age in order to be spiritually mature. The maturity comes through living the word of God. And by submitting our lives to God's word, Paul tells the older, spiritual, mature women with the things they should not be doing, gossiping or being drunk with wine. Paul informs Titus to teach these older believers to endure the truth that they know and not the culture that they see. We see this reality is not removed from our culture today. As believers in Christ, we also have to stand against the sin in today's culture. Remember that the Bible is truth. And truth doesn't change with culture. The gospel must transform our hearts. And through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, that is how we spiritually grow. As Paul continues to address the older women, I want you to notice that he makes them accountable for teaching and instructing the younger women. 
This does not mean a younger woman are not supposed to sit underneath the pastor or the teachings of a pastor, but rather it simply means that the opportunity to be taught more on one on one on one level is best accomplished by spiritual mature older women. Paul says to Titus in verse four to five. Let's read that again. The older women can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Paul does something very interesting in the text regarding younger women. He moves the discussion from a pulpit to a private training by means of discipleship. There is an old African proverb that says, The youth can walk faster, but the elders know the road. Younger people have the tendency to assume that they know everything. And when it comes to discipleship, it requires that they be teachable. I believe it's important to highlight how Paul organizes the section regarding this relationship of discipleship between older and younger women. Paul breaks down the impact of a woman from a social point of view as well as a biblical point of view. I want us to quickly look at the seven responsibilities of the younger woman that Paul describes. He says they are to be and to do the following. Love their husbands. Love their children. Be self-controlled. Pure. Working at home. Kind and submissive to their husbands. Within Judaism and Roman world, a woman's virtue was considered to be based upon how they loved their husband and raised their children. The same virtue can be found in the book of Proverbs. The godly woman is described this way. In Proverbs chapter 31, uh, 31 verse 26 through 29, it says, She opens her mouth in wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She watches over the activities of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children raise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Please hear me when I say this. These attributes of a younger woman are not outdated. They are biblically sound. Society will push back against this tooth and nail. Biblical femininity and modern feminism are as different as night and day. And the same could have been said in Paul's day. Biblical femininity and feminism in Crete were as different as night and day. Phil Towner in his book, the letters to Timothy and Titus documents this regarding the new women ideology by saying this, the value of the new women style of conduct conduct in Crete had little to do with traditional commitment to the household. The new morality emphasized, endorsed the freedom to pursue extramarital sexual lesions. Liberties normally open only to men, which would place marital fidelity and household management at risk. Thus, the household was the chief theater of Paul's campaign. It takes a mature woman of faith 
to help a younger woman know how to handle the trials and troubles of a young marriage. It takes a mature woman of faith to talk to a younger woman about how to submit to her husband and with even knowing her husband is wrong. It takes a mature woman of faith to show the values and virtues of raising kids in a self-centered world. After Paul addresses the older, younger women here, he moves to address the younger men. Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verse 6, Likewise, encourage the younger men to be self-controlled. Let's look at this a little bit closely. The word likewise shows up again in the text. Remember, this word likewise is connecting the attributes that were in for the older men. In verse 2, the younger men are to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith and in love, and to show endurance. What age group could Paul be talking about here? Clearly, there was no organized youth ministries happening back then. There was no formal children's ministry that was happening either. The teenagers were right there alongside their parents hearing the word being preached. These expectations and expectations on the right living were to be applied not only to the older men and women, but also to the younger men and women as well. You could probably say that the age range here was anywhere from mid-teens to early 40s. Cross-generational discipleship is necessary to develop and to cultivate the heart and life of a believer in Christ. If I can give a word of encouragement to all the parents, I strongly urge you to not look at parenting as a chore, having your kids until they're 18, and then they can move out and live and pay their own bills. Look at your children as torch carriers for their generation. Who has been placed in your care by God Himself? So please, raise them, teach them what is right by God's truth. As good children, we must model what we want to see in our youth. Picking back up in Titus chapter 2, verse 7, it says, In everything, set them as an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity and seriousness. Paul addresses Titus specifically here. He says, in all things, show yourself. Meaning, this is for you as a leader and a pastor of the people in Crete. What I find most interesting is that Titus' directive is given directly after the younger men. The reason being is that Titus himself is a young man. His life is not to be disconnected from the message that he preaches. This idea, because I'm a leader and in charge that I'm not obligated to follow my own message. Paul pushes back against this idea because it's hypocritical and it makes us out to look like liars. So Paul makes it clear to Titus, be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine. The same usage of the word example is used in Philippians 3.17, where Paul says to the church of Philippi, saying, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the patterns that you have in us. The word example in Greek is sumumetes. It means joint imitator. This is where we get our English word symmetry from. 
We also see the similar word used here in Paul when he talks to Corinth about imitating him as he imitates Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Be imitators of me as I also am of Christ. I pray you see this point, friends. And I'm going to say it really slow. You as a disciple and an image bearer of Christ are not the object to imitate. You are simply pointing the one who you are imitating to the one that you are imitating, Jesus Christ himself. Follow me as I follow Christ. We should say the same thing. I'm trying really hard to set an example for you as I follow Christ. To the extent that I do, but when I mess up, please don't follow my example. So we should try to follow Christ to the best of our ability. And when we mess up, and we will, fall back at the feet of Jesus Christ. Remember what he tells us in Philippians verse, or chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out until completion, until the day of Jesus Christ. Your life and my life should be a receipt of life that was paid for us over 2,000 years ago. My fellow young brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're in here or if you're listening to this message, this one is also for you. Paul tells Timothy this. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Teenagers, do not buy into this cultural lie of YOLO. You only live one life once. Well, it's true, we only have one life, but how you live it will show what side you're choosing and who you live for. This is that life that says that you have to live your life fullest with no regrets. And then when you're older, you have lived a full life. May I suggest something to the whole congregation this morning? The only life that brings fulfillment and joy is in Christ alone. Temporary pleasures are just that. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. In verse 8, in the text, it will show us why we must live counterculturally. Let's pick up in Titus chapter 2 verse 8. In your teaching, show integrity and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Your life and my life should be the receipt that good living will be a testimony to the transformation that has taken in our lives. Let me give you a quick example. I'm pretty sure that there's a bunch in here uh, of my family members as well that are Costco members. You go throughout Costco, you buy whatever you want, you get in this huge line. After getting in this huge line, you pay for your stuff and you're out the door. Before you go out the door, you're in another line for this checkout person to check out what you have in your basket. Now, if your items that in your basket are not on your receipt or vice versa, they could sit there and accuse you of being a rotten thief. That is exactly what Paul says here. Your life will be lived well 
and there will be no room for the enemy to creep into and accuse you of anything. Integrity is when no one is watching. In Titus chapter 2 verse 9 we pick up, it says, The slaves to be subject, or excuse me, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to, to, to talk back to them, and to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Paul brings us to the last group here, slaves. Slavery within the first century was based upon several things. Here's just two quick examples. Number one, you're either captured by a conquering nation from war, or two, you owed a debt to someone and wanted to pay it off. Understand what I'm trying to say about this passage. It is in no way approving of slavery, but it was a way of life back then. So Paul, within the barriers and laws and rules during that time, wanted us to urge the slaves also to live well. Now, when you hear the word slave, think employee. Paul tells the slaves to be subject to their own master. Not in just one thing, but in all things. My favorite verse of the Bible is Colossians 3.23, where it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord and not for men. We've got to remember, everything that we will do will be accounted for when we're standing in front of Christ. Paul then goes on to mention how to accomplish these things by saying, Be well-pleasing, satisfying the needs of your master, not argumentative, not contradicting what they request of you, not stealing, reserving for yourself what you think you deserve. In the book of Philemon, Paul deals with Onesimus, Philemon slave in the same way. It's pretty interesting that the letter to Philemon is directly after Titus, continuing his teaching on slavery. If we were to apply God's word today, it may look a little bit like this. Keeping in mind that we too are bond servants to Jesus Christ. You might want to ask yourself this. Are you an employee who constantly comes to work late? This is not well-pleasing. Are you an employee who always tries to prove your point in business meetings and to disagree with your boss? This is also not pleasing. Are you an employee who knows that you come in an hour late and leave an hour early, but you don't put it on your timesheet? Do you see how all these things, all these things are bad witness in a workplace and in society, the goal of living well amongst the non-believing world is this. It allows our lives to bear witness to the Lord, our Savior. It allows non-believers to see that Christians don't just talk a big game, but we live in a way that pleases our Lord. If we never opened our mouths and our lives could only talk and speak for us, would people be able to see Christ exemplified through your life? Paul writes these words to young Timothy, saying in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own master as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God 
and doctrine will not be spoken against. Do you see it? The last verse one. You are to live well and do well because it brings glory to God and makes him look good in every single situation. Sound doctrine leads us into right living, my friends. Every believer in Jesus Christ, every father, mother, sister, brother, boss, employee, grandma, grandpa, has an obligation to live out the gospel. The last verses that I want us to go over today before we wrap up is Titus 2, 11 through 15. Read with me. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people to teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for that blessed hope that appearing of the glory of our great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things You should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. You can sense the urgency of the matter regarding Titus' teaching these things according to sound doctrine. Paul tells Titus, speak these things. What are these things? Teach sound doctrine. Teach the gospel and to teach it in, in grace. Titus is to teach and model model and teach the blueprints of right living to the church and to the elders. If Titus is the pastor who is selecting these leaders or elders of the church within that day, he must certainly find men who are committed to the same message that he was. Surely Titus is to be the one others are looking up to for godly instruction, instructions and in guidance. Paul gives Titus the very authority not to only establish elders, but to preach and teach without the need to compromise the gospel. Paul shows that this grace that God has given us reaches down to the very lowest of the valley. We must live well to reflect the glorious work that has been done in us by the grace and goodness of God. I believe Didrik Abonhofire said it best. Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Did you hear me, church? Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Pray with me as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words of wisdom. Lord, help us, each and every one of us, to live a life well-pleasing to you, Lord. Help us to run the race that was set out for us before we were even born. That we, when we live a good life, that pleases you, Lord, and brings you honor. It is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that I pray these things. Amen. Well, friends and family, thank you for being with us. And as we go throughout the week, please, I beg of you, pick up your Bibles, read the words of God, because this is the only way that will transform our lives. Thank you, and may God bless you in everything that you do. God bless.